with up two. Moncada hits it wide left of center. This is for the lead. Moncada. One and out to Tim Anderson. That ball is hit well. Deep left field toward the corner. Tim Anderson sends it out of here. Jimenez drills it. Left center, number one in this ballpark is Gargantuan. And a line drive, left field base hit. That's going to split the gap and go all the way to the wall. Mercado runs. Jimenez, a towering fly ball to center field, and it is up and out of here. Makata throws this ball right field. The only question is which deck. Jimenez in the air, left field. He's your hero tonight. Welcome into another episode of the White Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Flowers, and happy Sox Fest weekend, White Sox fans. For those of you that attended the convention this weekend, I'm sure you had a blast like I did myself. For those of you who did not, hopefully next year you can take it in because it was a blast. There was a lot of good, a little bit of meh that uh, I'll address later and what I think maybe. They could potentially change next year uh, if they keep the same venue to make it more enjoyable of an experience uh, for fans of all ages. But the majority of the two days that I was there, Friday afternoon and evening, and then Saturday morning and uh, afternoon, the atmosphere was fantastic. It was buzzing. Uh, the off-season achievements translated into uh, excitement throughout the building for the 2020 season. Um, everybody that I that I spoke to and everybody that I saw was really, really, really enjoying themselves, and everybody was really excited. Uh, the optimism is flowing, uh, and it should be. But like Rick Hahn said uh, on Thursday to the media uh, regarding expectations in 2020, uh, you know, he said, "Wait till after the parade," or "Ask me after the parade." Um, and he's trying to temper expectations a little bit, um, and you know, make it known that they achieved a lot of the things, if not all of the things that they wanted to do this off season, but there's still work to be done. And the American league central is still a tough division to compete in. So, you know, just kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the world series, uh, aspirations. And let's, let's worry about competing in the American league central first, which to anybody who st- takes a step back uh, from the excitement and jubilation of an offseason we haven't seen for a while, that makes sense to them too. Uh, Yasmani Grandal said it well uh, this morning. He said, um, you know, I'll just be happy to get to the playoffs. Uh, let's let's get to the playoffs first before we, we get to a World Series or we start talking about uh, winning a World Series. And this is a guy who's been in the postseason for, I want to say, each of the last five years. Uh, with the Dodgers and then the Brewers last year. So he's a guy who has plenty of playoff experience. He's a veteran, one of the best catchers in the game. And that leads me to my biggest takeaway from Sox Vest overall, and that is that the Yasmani Grandal effect on this team is already in full force. Um, 
hearing him speak a lot this weekend is something that I haven't had the opportunity to do, and most Sox fans also have not had the opportunity to do with him playing for the Dodgers and playing for the Brewers uh, formerly. Uh, Yasmani Grandal is extremely well-spoken, very smart, um, very good at answering questions, easy and difficult. Uh, He's great with the fans. And Saturday morning when he was sitting in between Eloy Jimenez and Nomar Mazzara, you really saw his, his leadership ability on display and you saw that those guys followed him. Um, so for example, there you know English is the second language to Eloy Jimenez, uh, and he's doing very good at, at learning and becoming more comfortable speaking in English in public, uh, and he has a lot of fun, and he's a jokester. Um, but there were times where you can tell that a question posed to him caught him off guard, or he didn't understand necessarily what was being asked, or how to how to answer it. Uh, and you know, without hesitation, uh, Grandal was able to sense that and kind of take over the answer, and you know, lead Eloy into a better understanding of what was being asked for him, or kind of almost even answer for him, or you know, walk him to the answer. Um, he did, you know. And that was that you could see, you could see it in Eloy's face that it was appreciated. You could even see it in Layla Rahimi's face that she, you know, was picking up the, you know, what Grandal was doing, um, you know, kind of taking, taking the reins as, you know, the big brother per se uh, on that stage. You know, that was just one thing though, right? Um, a lot of times when questions about expectations for 2020 were asked about or when um you know there was question like who out of the three of you are going to hit the most home runs this year you know Eloy and Nomar kind of joked Nomar said well you know I hope everybody hits 40 because you know that's going to lead to wins and you know Eloy pointed at Yasmani and it was funny but then Yasmani said something really smart and he said you know I hope it's he pointed to both Eloy and Omar Mazar, and he said, you know, I hope it's both of these guys or either of these guys because uh, I just want to lead the team in walks, right? Because if you walk a lot, you're on base a lot, you score a lot of runs. If you score a lot of runs, you win a lot of ball games, and, you know, it's about winning. So, I mean, there was just the answers to simple questions that Yasmani made and the way that he he guided uh, Eloy when he needed help without any awkward hesitation or pause was, uh, to me at least, I perceived it as these guys already know that Yasmani is the leader, right? They already look at him like that. They're already leaning on him uh, for direction and advice, and that's fantastic that he's, you know, we're we're still 17 days away from spring training, and you know, I mean, aside from a hitter's camp in Arizona and whatever they might have done on their, you know, personal time as far as meet and greets and getting to know each other uh, is concerned, Yasmani Grandal has already been able to have a huge impact on the young players in the clubhouse and they're already looking up to him. That right there 
is a part of his signing that you can't find inside the box score. Like we already know inside the box score, both offensively and defensively, he's a top tier catcher. And then the intangibles, and I know some people a lot of times laugh, and I mean everybody does, I do too, to a certain extent. When you really beat the dead horse, people laugh uh, and downplay the whole clubhouse leader thing when you're talking about acquiring talent and or acquiring people to add to a team. But you really, if you listen to the way Yasmani carries himself, the way he speaks, and the way that he interacts with other White Sox players and vice versa, the way those players interact with him, you know for sure that this guy is going to be the leader in that clubhouse, and he's going to have a tremendous impact on this ball club and all of the young guys on this ball club, whether it be pitchers or positional players. So that's extremely exciting. I was extremely impressed by Yasmani Grandal. I came out of SoxFest feeling 10 times better about that acquisition than I did going into SoxFest, and that's saying a lot because as far as I'm concerned, that was the headliner of the offseason because it set the table for everything else. And it's, you know, people with all the signings since Grandal, uh, people kind of, at least to me, I, I feel like people are kind of forgetting exactly what he brings to the table offensively and defensively. So that's exciting. I mean, Grandal spoke. He said, he, 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 when he when asked why he came to the White Sox, you know, he said part of his response was, um, you know, when I evaluated all of my options, and I dug into the White Sox, and we've heard Rick Hahn say it before that he requested, you know, detailed responses on players at the major league and the minor league level, and he requested video and analytics on the pitchers that he was going to be working with. And uh, Grandal alluded today to the fact that he just, a big part of why he came to the Chicago White Sox was the position they're in with the budding young core that they have and the opportunity that it was going to present him to be a teacher uh, he he noted that his mother is an educator and that he was uh, a very interactive student and and very much enjoyed school and learning uh, and that he very much enjoys teaching and he very much enjoy is looking forward to the opportunity to have that type of impact on this team that is to me is one of the most exciting takeaways uh, from SoxFest. Uh, during that um, that kids session, the Q&A, where they were up there today, uh, I mean, he was even cracking jokes, you know, like big brother, little brother jokes. Um, Eloy Jimenez was asked where he got the nickname uh, Big Baby from. And I'll let you listen in for yourself to the response from Eloy and, and the rest of the panel. Because I'm tall and I have 23 years old. In the minor leagues, when he struck out, he used to cry a lot. That's true. No, Marcin, you're over here smiling. You got anything to add to this? I was asking him, that's true, they used to cry. <laughs> That's a secret. <laughs> so you see there, obviously, 
there's great chemistry uh, and camaraderie already budding between them. Um, you know, and obviously <laughs> Eloy, as as I've said before, is, is very funny uh, when when he's given the opportunity to be behind a microphone. Uh, so that's good. Aside from Grandal's leadership abilities and, and the impact that he's already had on this team and the impact that he's going to continue to have, um, I would say my next biggest takeaway from this weekend would have to be uh, Rick Renteria responding to a question regarding what his message for the team is going to be in 2020 given the way the roster is now constructed and the expectations at hand. Uh, he, you know, the, the, the person asking the question said that, you know, in the past, like in 2019, for example, you know, if a pitcher got shelled, didn't make it late into a game and exposed the bullpen, or if, if positional players didn't perform up to par, you know, then it was kind of just, well, it's a developmental year, players are developing, it's all right. And um, Rick Renneria, who I think is, I don't know, we don't know yet, right, if, if Ricky's going to be the manager of the future, but right now he's the manager of now. And we. I, this answer from Renneria gave me a lot of confidence in him for this year moving forward, and I'll let you listen to it. For you. The first part for me. <laughs> Absolutely, the message is different. It's more refined. The, the difference is that I have players telling me now, our young core, not the, not the guys that, have, that we've just acquired, the young core are telling me now, we will take over some of the things that you've been doing over the past few years. We will tell these guys not to get their head out of their ass and let's start playing the game. It's no longer time to keep saying, hey, it's all right, let's go. The players are telling me that. But that has been bred over the last three years. Every coaching member, everybody in the front office has been on board with everything we've tried to do in order to teach these guys how to take an approach and a mentality of winning. Now, winning is a result. You have to perform well and have the outcomes be what you want them to be in particular situations. You have to play the game with a lot of energy and a lot of desire to succeed. They're not afraid to fail. We push these guys extremely hard. But now, you have a group of young players that have started to learn and are feeling very confident about their skill set. You still have to perform. And now you've got some guys that have been in that fire, that have been in that hunt, that have been in that battle, that are not combined with our young guys. And our guys are telling our young players, hey, it's time to go. We don't have time to mess around. We have a window of opportunity. Let's take it. That's where we're at. So, as you heard, Renteria was very clear and adamant in his uh, idea of what his approach and his message for the 2020 White Sox is going to be. You know, he used the word uh, refined, and I think that's a good description of where we are this year from last year, right? Last year, Mancata broke out, Anderson broke out, Giolito broke out, uh, other guys had good seasons, but now this year, the weak spots in the lineup and the weak spots in the rotation, you know, have been improved, if not, you know, filled for the long term. So, you know, this winter was in large part a refinement of a exciting product, you know, at its core in 2019. Uh, you know, Renteria said 
it's head out of your ass time, right? No more coddling. You know, we're not going to hold hands this year. It's get the job done or the next guy is going to get your job. And that's that's what I wanted to hear out of Renteria. That's, that to me, more than anything else, tells me that 2020 is the beginning of the window of contention for the White Sox. It is win time right now, not next year, not two years from now. Uh, so Renteria was adamant that it, it, it's go time. Uh, another thing that Renteria said there was, you know, winning is a result. I am a firm believer that winning is a byproduct of the things that go on throughout the game, on the off day and everything. So executing your job, right? You're the starting pitcher for the day. Your job is to get through six innings, get to the bullpen. Um, You know, you are the leadoff hitter. Your job is to get on base and create opportunities for the guys behind you. You're the middle reliever. Your job is to get the ball to the late-inning guys. Um, You're the designated hitter. Your job is to hit. If everybody executes their job, then winning becomes a byproduct. Winning also becomes becomes a byproduct of great player development, which another thing that, or another common theme, I should say, from this weekend was changes throughout the player development department. Um, It seems as though there is now a very heavy emphasis on biomechanics when it comes to teaching hitters how to get better. Uh, And that's really exciting as well. All in all, you can't come away from this weekend not more excited than you were coming into it. And that's not just because of the music and the giveaways and, you know, kind of the fluffy, you know, fan convention stuff. But if you really, really listen to things like um, player development throughout the system, uh, if you really key in on things that they talk about in terms of when they think that the contention window starts, right? Not when we think it does, but when they think it does and they think it's now. Um, The leadership on the ball club, the the ability, that the impact that those guys are going to have. You have to feel like the right people are in place to take this talent to the next level. Uh, in Renteria's statement, Renteria statement today on his message for 2020 really solidified that. Another thing that... Uh, was asked this morning was whether the White Sox would consider moving Tim Anderson to right field. Um, The person who asked the question was very complimentary of Anderson initially. You know, he mentioned that he's he's very talented, very athletic, and he's got a lot of swagger, Um, but then alluded to the fact that, you know, Anderson has been subpar by the metrics defensively and sometimes to the eye test too um and that you know he alluded that his his athleticism would play well in an outfield position i'll give you you know what i'll let you listen to renteria's response first and then i'll give you my thoughts i'll take the timmy question 
I'm not putting Timmy in right field, so I'll, I'll apologize to you right now. Timmy actually, believe it or not, and as we've talked through the process and the stage of his growth, uh, and you guys have heard me say this, there was a time when nobody thought he could make the, the backhanded play, deep in the hole, making that backhanded play. I understand and he understands that we need to cut down the errors uh, from that side of the time in, in specific with Timmy. He has said it. He's, he's talking about, he knows what he has to do to make himself better and to make himself an elite. He's leading to becoming an elite shortstop in the big league. I believe he will become an elite shortstop in the big league. Now the process of growing and learning and understanding what he can and cannot do taking away some of the deficits that were always placed upon him in his mind, thinking that he was never going to be able to make certain plays. That's disappearing. You're right. The consistency in which he plays it is the next phase of his growth. That's where we believe we're exploring uh, approaches, things of that nature. But he's ready to make the next step. So right now, I'm far away from considering putting him in the outfield at all. These are short the end of that statement by Renteria is all you need to know. Tim Anderson is the White Sox shortstop. Um, he is getting better every year, and he will continue to get better. He's the White Sox shortstop, so that's enough of that. I get that it was, um, you know, at the beginning of the offseason when you were looking at the entire free agent class, people considered – Maybe we can move Tim Anderson into the outfield and we can bring another bat into the infield to add another bat to the lineup. It was a hypothetical that should have died right then and there. And, you know, I'm glad that Renteria came right out and said uh, as clear as he possibly could, it's not going to happen. Tim Anderson is the shortstop, period. End of the story. One last clip I have and talking point I have from... Uh, today at SoxFest was by Rick Hahn. Uh, there was a question that was presented to, I want to say, both Rick Renteria and Rick Hahn. Um, and this is the Rick Hahn part of the response, and it's surrounding the rotational depth that they've built with the acquisitions they made this offseason and kind of how the White Sox envision um, Michael Kopech working his way back from Tommy John surgery into the rotation, uh, how they plan on, you know, because right now, right now on paper, we know that it looks like they have uh, a surplus of major league level starting pitching. So Han kind of talks about how they see that playing out and, and the thought process uh, leading up to making those acquisitions and how they think it's going to play out in 2020. Real quick on the, on the starter depth, uh, hypothetically put out there, that, that good problems to have. We look forward to having today, whether it's the Kopech returns or Rodon returns or Jonathan Stever forces the issue or Dane Dunning, uh, Jimmy Lambert, that we're sitting in a position of strength and we get to be creative, whether it's in a six-man rotation, whether it's you know skipping a guy at some point and filling in just to give him a little added rest midway through the season. Uh, part of what we our goal when we started this whole thing wasn't the primary goal, and that was obviously to acquire as much impactful talent as we could, but the secondary was to get enough depth that we could withstand injury or underperformance or allow the staff the creativity to do some of the things like you proposed. So we aren't necessarily quite there due to health on, a, on the pitching side, but I think 
certainly this season, and if not by uh, 12 months from right now, we are going to be in that position. That's some good questions already. Let's keep it going. So Han essentially answered a question that a lot of us have heading into spring training surrounding how the rotation might look when they break camp uh, with the pitchers that they currently have. Uh, the feeling that I get coming out of Sox Fest is that Michael Kopech is going to start the season in AAA. Um, he probably won't, uh, you know, in spring training, he'll probably be able to compete just like every other pitcher there. Um, and he'll probably stay down in Arizona for an extended spring training and then go to Charlotte and make a couple rehab starts to kick off the rusts, uh, you know, against live competition at that level before he makes his way to Chicago and probably may, right? That would be my best guess at this point, judging by everything that has been said uh, over the last couple days, uh, is that he goes to spring training, he competes like everybody else, regardless of whether he's stellar or the complete opposite. He has an extended spring training, and then he makes some starts in Charlotte before eventually he makes his way up to Chicago in May because they have the flexibility to give him that type of spring to get stretched out reacclimated with competitive baseball um, and, and get into the White Sox rotation and actually make a contribution uh, when he gets there. Kopech himself did mention this weekend that uh, his Tommy John surgery to him was uh, a blessing in disguise. It gave him an opportunity to step away from baseball uh, and reevaluate a lot of things, both mentally and physically. Uh, he was going through a lot mentally. He spoke a lot uh, recently and very openly about his struggles with mental health um, and how that played an impact on him and how it all kind of you know, came to a head around the time where he was having Tommy John um, and removed from the game of baseball. You know, and it's been nearly two years, you know, 18 months-ish, um, and you know, his path back to the field, he seems like a person now who's in a very good place mentally and physically um he's so smart he is so well spoken uh and he seems like a fantastic kid i i just hope that he has nothing but success and i think he will uh he you know he's mentioned that he's not going to he doesn't envision himself being the same type of power pitcher that he was when he was coming up uh make no mistake though and he made this clear yeah, that's not because he can't anymore because of the surgery or effects from it. That's not at all the case. He could still throw 100-plus. He just wants to learn how to become a better pitcher uh, as you know, in a hole and use, use more of his other stuff, right? And that's good. I, I think that's a sign of maturity and another sign of you know, where he's at mentally right now. And uh, I think that's going to help him have a great 2019 return to baseball after his long road back. Uh, from his Tommy John surgery and his recovery. So that's pretty exciting. Now I'm going to move on to my takeaways from SoxFest in itself. Uh, this is the first year that they held it at the McCormick Place. It was at McCormick Place West. Um, overall, they did a really, it was, it was really nice. 
It was very aesthetically pleasing. The lights, the music, the sounds were great. The hospitality uh, and the customer service was fantastic. My big problem with this year's venue was it was very congested. The, um, you know, line to get in if you got there at three on Friday was an hour plus. Saturday morning, not horrible if you got in the line, but you know it was still, it was still a good forty-five minutes uh, to an hour just to get scanned in um, and, and get your your lanyard and your badge to get in the actual. Uh, event once you were in the event it was very frustrating at times uh, the foot traffic so the further you made your way into the event towards the main stage where they held all the seminars um, and the White Sox talk podcasts and whatnot it became very very congested um, almost impossible to move. It was bottlenecked, and it was because they positioned vendors, uh, outside vendors, in front of the main stage, um, and in between, you know, the the autograph stages. So there was, I want to say, ten autograph stages: five on your left side, five on your right side. If you're walking towards the main stage from the entrance, and you know, in between the autograph stages and prior to the main stage, you had a cluster of vendor cubicles set up. And the foot traffic, it became a a bottleneck uh, and reminded me a lot of trying to go eastbound on the 290 uh, past Mannheim Road or between Mannheim Road and, and First Avenue. It was just you know, you were cruising coming in from the west, and then you just, it was just a dead stop. It was, I had i had my kids with me. My son is 10. My daughter is 7. Or I'm sorry, she'll be 7 next month. So she's 6 right now. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of, she, she, she had a hard time Friday night dealing with constantly being bumped and hitting the head with, you know, taller people's uh, duffel bags full of memorabilia that they had thrown over their shoulder and hung over their back. Uh, and I get it, right? You're there, you're getting autographs and stuff. It's not that person's fault that this was happening. It's just a small degree of poor planning on the White Sox part. Other than that, it was phenomenal. But I think next year they need to do something to alleviate all that congestion there um, at a place that really is one of the main attractions, right? You've got, it's in the name, the main stage. To the left of the main stage and to the right of the main stage, you had the Goose Island uh, beer truck and, you know, beer garden area, for lack of a better word. Uh, And then on the opposite side, you had the same for the Budweiser products and then on each you know prior to that and on each side you had all the autograph stages which in themselves uh, have 
a lot of congestion and foot traffic. So I don't know, you know, what the, I mean, they can do, but there's a lot more space to be utilized at the McCormick Place. So I would hope that next year they do something to alleviate that. But outside of that, it was fantastic. And big thank you to all of the staff at the um, the trio of Hilton brand hotels, uh, the Hampton Inn, I think it was Home 2, and then maybe Garden Inn by Hilton. That's three different Hilton brands all under one roof. Uh, that hotel, from the valet to the front desk um, service, fantastic, top-notch, excellent. Price wasn't bad either. Whatever deal they worked out with the White Sox to make the price right, it was great. Uh, that's all. That's really all I got on SoxFest. I mean... I had a great time. My kids had a great time. They were able to meet a lot of people, like I'm sure many of you and your children were. Uh, so, yeah. Overall, I give them a B. You know, like I said, very aesthetically pleasing. Fantastic customer service from the hotel all the way to the floor. Um, just that one issue that they need to remedy moving forward, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone on this. And um, my takeaways that I... I spoke to you about Yasmani Grandal and the Grandal effect is already in full force and that is fantastic. Um, Ricky Renteria and the coaching staff's message to the 2020 White Sox is it's time to win right now. And uh, we are 17 days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So... We're almost there, White Sox fans. Almost there. That's it for me today. Thank you for listening to the White Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Please go follow us on social media, at Sox Unfiltered. Um, Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And whenever you see us on social media, hit that uh, retweet and like button. Try to get some more ears on it, and we'll, we'll grow together as we approach what should be one of the more exciting White Sox baseball seasons in recent memory. Until next time, boys, take it away. Three and two. This could be the final pitch of the ball game, Bill. Really? What are we going to do then? We will say goodbye after we talk to James McCann. Can't say goodbye. It's early. I agree. And America agrees. Oh, that's a strike. He's out of there. The game is over. The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Studge Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you, Chicago.